Hello, this is Matt Hesser with Dimensional Nomad Games, and welcome to Magic Adventures in Friday Night Magic Commander, Episode 5. Today we're going to be talking about the games that took place in at the Zeus and Apollo's local game shop in Pocatello, Idaho, that took place on August 11, 2017. At this particular uh, Friday Night Magic event, we had 12 players. Um, we were playing Commander or uh, Elder Dragon Highlander, which is our preferred format. Let's go ahead and take a look at the commanders, and then we can take a look at some of our matchups. So, for our commanders, we had Sagarda, Host of Herons, who is two green, white, white for a 5 5 legendary angel with flying and hexproof. Spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause you to sacrifice permits. This is generally a Enchantress Voltron build. Um, green, white is very good for Enchantresses. So, that's usually what you see with Sagarda. Uh, Animar, Soul of Elements, was my commander. For blue, red, green, you get a 1-1 Legendary Elemental with protection from white and from black. Whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Animar, Soul of Elements. And creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each plus one plus one counter on Animar. So use a bunch of things to feed him counters, usually smaller creatures, and then let you cast a whole bunch of big creatures. We had two different people playing the Scarab God. Uh, we usually have at least two... Uh, I think one week we actually had four, but this week we only had two. Um, Scarab God is from the Hour of Devastation, so the latest set that just came out. It's three, a blue and a black for a 5-5 five, five legendary god. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses X life and you scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. And then for two, a blue and a black, you exile target creature card from a graveyard and you create a token that's a copy of it, except that it's a 4-4 black zombie. And then when the Scarab God dies, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Then we had a Fenex God of Deception deck. Three of blue and a black for a 4-7 legendary enchantment god with indestructible. As long as your devotion to blue and black is less than seven, Fenex isn't a creature. And then creatures you control all have tap. Target player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, where X is the creature's toughness. So basically, it's a mill deck. That's usually what you see out of Fenex. Um, Titania, Protector of Argoth, is 3 green green for a 5-3 legendary elemental. Um, with, uh, when Titania, Protector of Argoth, enters the battlefield, return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And whenever a land you control is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, create a 5-3 green elemental creature token. Usually a lot of ramp, um, fetch lands, things like Evolving Wilds. Uh, Crucible of Worlds is really good in this because you're usually cycling your lands a lot. Um, then we had Yidris, Maelstrom Wielder. Blue, black, red, green for a 5-4 legendary creature ogre wizard with trample. And whenever Yidris deals combat damage to a player, as you cast spells from your hand this turn, they gain Cascade. And Cascade is when you cast a spell, reveal the top cards of your library to reveal a card with um, converted mana cost 1 or uh, at least one less than the spell. And you may choose to cast that card. Uh, otherwise, put the rest of them on the bottom of your deck. Uh, usually it's Voltron-ish, ways to make them unblockable, get them in, do a combat damage, and you play a bunch of big spells to ramp into other spells. Uh, Yassan the Wandering Bard, two and a green for a 2-3 legendary human rogue. 
two and a green, tap, put a verse counter on Yasan, the Wandering Bard. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to the number of verse counters on Yasan, and then put it onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. Usually combo-centric, trying to get lots of cards into your into play for free. Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight, four, a red and two white for a 5-5 five, five legendary angel with flying and first strike. Then if a source would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent and opponent controls, the source would deals double that damage to all to that player or permanent instead. And if a source would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, pre prevent half that damage rounded up. So it's pretty nice. There's a couple of different ways to make it. You usually uh, ramp into her and then punishment, or you can just do a standard Boros deck as well. Then we had Marath, World of the Wild. Red, green, white for a zero, zero legendary elemental beast. When it enters the battlefield, uh, sorry, it enters the battlefield with plus one plus counters onto it, equal to the amount of mana you spent onto it, and then pay one, or sorry, pay X, remove X plus one plus counters from it to make, uh, to put X plus one plus counters to target creature, or deal X damage to target creature or player, or put an XX greed, ooh, excuse me, green elemental creature token onto the battlefield. And what's nice is every time it dies, the commander tax counts towards the amount of mana you spent to play it, so it gets bigger every time it dies. <clears throat> Usually it's a token build, um, plus one, plus one counter build, lots of different ways you can play with it. Green, uh, Red, green, white is a fun color combination. Then we had Alicia, who smiles to death, two and a red for a 3-2 legendary human warrior. With first strike, and whenever Alicia, who smiles to death, attacks, you may pay... Um, two hybrid black-white. If you do, return target creature card with power two or less from a graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. Usually graveyard recursion, things like that. Uh, I never, I have yet to actually play against the person who has this, um, so I'm not sure how they're building their deck. But hopefully one of these games I'll get to play against them. And then Terriel, Reckoner of Souls, four white, black, red for a 4-7 legendary angel with flying and vigilance, and tap, choose a creature card at random from target opponent's graveyard, put that card onto the battlefield under your control. So, it's usually some kind of combination of creature destruction, uh, mill, haste. Um, again, I haven't really gotten a chance to see how the player plays this, but hopefully I can get some more information out of that. Alright, so those are the 12 commanders we had for this game let's go ahead and take a look at the first pod as always um give me your best guess as who you think won each of the pods and then at the end of each game i'll go ahead and tell you who won all right so let's go ahead and look at the pods we have sagarda versus anamar versus the scarab god we had fenix versus titania versus the scarab god yidjus versus yasan versus gisela and then we had marath versus alicia 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 uh, versus Terriel. So, I, as I said earlier, I'm playing Animar, so I'm in the first pod. So, let's go ahead and take a look at that game. So, turn one's pretty standard. Play the forest, play the birds of paradise. Everyone else just played a land. Um, turn two, we get to see Animar hit the play. Um, the Sagarda player dropped a bounce land, unfortunately. So... He ended up with too many cards in hand. He had to end up pitching three dreams. Now, three dreams is a great card in an enchantment build. Uh, it's four and a white for a sorcery. This is search your library for the three aura cards with different names. Reveal them and put them in your hand. Then shelf your library. I actually used to run this uh, in my uh, Captain Sisei deck uh, back when I had a enchantment 
um, sub theme, but I don't run that anymore. Uh, it's a lot more tuned now. But anyway, uh, I felt really bad because, you know, turn two bounce land with nothing else to do and you're pitching a card, that's rough. Especially since it's turn two and I've got Animar in the field. All right, so... And then our Scarab God players just playing a land. So pretty early game, pretty standard for Animar. Get him out early, get him out hard. Rattleclaw Mystic, very basic. It's a one and a green for a two-one human shaman. Oh, the picture makes me think it's a bug or something. Anyway, it taps to add either green, blue, or red to your mana pool. Um, it also has morph, so you can play it face down if you want. It only costs two to unmorph it, so to flip it back face up, and then when it flips, you get uh, one of each of those mana. So it's two to flip, and so you end up with an extra mana. Uh, usually I just play it for its face-up costs, because with Animar, usually only costs a green. Um, so Guide Player starts ramping, played, a fertile, played another land, got a Fertile Ground, which is one and a green for an enchantment or enchant land. And whenever the enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds one mana of any color of their choice to their mana pool. And then our lovely Scarab God player played a Stitched Mangler, which is two and a blue for a creature, zombie, horror, 2-3, enters the battlefield tapped. And when it enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. That creature doesn't untap during its controller's uh, next untap step. So he tapped down my poor... Poor um, Animar, because blue is one of the creatures it doesn't have uh, protection from. So, moving on to turn four, pretty standard again. Played a Solemn Simulacrum, which is four mana for a 2 2 uh, artifact creature golem that when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic land and put it in a play tap, then shuffle your library. And when it dies, you draw a card. A lot of utility, I recommend it pretty much in any deck. Uh, even monocolor decks, because it's just it's pure ramp. It's a great blocker, because when it blocks, it draws a card. Really good card. Our uh, Sagarda player then played Ghost Quarters, which is a land that taps for a waste mana, or colorless, if you want to call it. And you can sack it to destroy a land, and then that land's controller searches for a basic land and put it on the battlefield. Um, really good for getting rid of things like uh, Cradle, Glacial Chasm, uh, Maze of Vith, any of those problematic lands. Uh, mostly just depends on your build, but in this case, Sagarda player was happy with it because it let him get out Sagarda. So now his combo is starting to come online. And then the Scarab God player played Megram, which is an interesting choice. It's two and a black for an enchantment that says, whenever an opponent discards a card, Megram deals two damage to that player. Usually you play that with a cycling style deck where you're having everybody wheel their turns, which usually means you need red, um... But I'm wondering if he was planning a discard sub-theme. But unfortunately, it never manifested. Alright, so let's go ahead and move past number uh, turn four. Uh, there's a couple of combat shenanigans. I was swinging because I could. Because really, uh, Animar at this point was big enough. Um, Alright, so moving on turn five. I played Garuk's Pack Leader, which is four and a green for a 4-4 four, four beast. That says whenever another creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. And it's nice as it's may, so it doesn't uh, accidentally mill me out if I'm playing a whole ton of creatures late game. I was also able to play Soul of the Harvest, which is four and two green for a 6-6 six, six elemental with trample. And whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, uh, you may draw a card. So 
lots of card draw coming online, really ramping out my hand. Uh, Animar's got like five, four, five, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four. He's now got four counters on him at this point. Sigarda player then plays Armadillo Cloak, one of my favorite auras in the entire game. I, I remember when this card came out, it was a huge deal when it first came out. It was just bonkers because it, it gives the enchanted creature plus two, plus two, and trample. And whenever the enchanted creature deals combat or deals damage, you gain that much life. What's nice is it doesn't give a lifelink. It's a separate ability, so it stacks with lifelink. So one, a green, and a white to give a creature plus two, plus two, trample, and a pseudo lifelink. That stacks with lifelink. It's fantastic, especially on something like Sagarda, which is already a 5-5 five, five flying, so it has built-in evasion. Now it's a 7-7 seven, seven flying trample lifelink with hexproof and can't be sacrificed, so it's a huge deal. Of course, he's going to be whacking me with that um, because I'm the biggest threat. And you know what? I totally understood that. <laughs> Did not begrudge this guy whatsoever. All right, and then our uh, lovely Scarab God player played Graph Harvest, which is one black for an enchantment that says zombies you control have menace. And for three and a black, you can exile a creature card from your graveyard to create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Um, personally, I'd rather spend four mana and make myself a 4-4, but I mean, it gives your zombies menace, so maybe that's the point of it. Um, or maybe it's just one of those budget builds, you know. All right, so... Unfortunately, I was able to just max out and win the game on turn six. So we played Mercurial Pretender. I copied the Soul of Harvest so that I could get a ton more draw. I did, um, and Mercurial Pretender is four and a blue for a zero-zero creature shapeshifter that says you may have it into the battlefield as a copy of any creature you control, except that it gains two and two blue, bounces creature to its owner's hand. Um, so I, I copied the... So the harvest, so I could get more draw. I then, uh, and at this point, it would only cost me one blue. So I still had a ton of mana. I then played Vorinclex, Voice of Hunger, which is normally six and two green for a seven-six legendary Praetor with trample. And then whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. And whenever an opponent taps a land for mana, that land doesn't untap during controller's next untap step. So again, ramping really hard. I'm uh, not really worried about my mana base at this time because I've got a bunch of lands. Uh, it's turn six. I've got six lands in play, plus a bird, plus a rattle club mystic. I've got plenty of mana. So I then drop a Bane of Progress, which is four and two green for a two-two elemental. So it only costs me two green. And when it enters the battlefield, destroy all artifacts and enchantments. And then it gets a plus one, plus one counter for each permanent this destroyed this way. So, um, yeah, I killed my own Solemn Simulacrum, but it drew me a card. I killed, you know the armadillo cloak the uh, what was that enchantment the the graph harvest so it, it got a few counters on it then i played thunderfoot bailoth which is four and two green so again only costing me two green for a five five beast with trample and lieutenant so as long as you control your commander thunderfoot bailoth gets plus two plus two and other creatures you control get plus two plus two and have trample so it's immediately buffing all of my creatures um, I then played Sandstone Oracle, which is normally 7 mana for a 4-4 artifact creature Sphinx with flying, uh, but at this point it was free for me. So 
Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, choose an opponent. If that player has more cards in hand than you, draw cards equal to the difference. So at this point, I only had like one or two cards in hand. Somebody else had seven, so I drew back up to seven cards. Next, I had Void Winnower. Now, Void Winner is normally nine, but again, with Animar, uh, it cost me... It was actually free at this point. So it's an 11-9 Eldrazi that says your opponents can't cast spells with even converted mana costs. Uh, and that includes zeros. So zero is an even number. And they can't block with creatures with an even converted mana cost. Um, I then played a Vestman Shapeshifter copying the Thunderfoot Bailoff. So now I have two creatures that buff my creatures plus two, plus two. So all of my creatures are getting plus four, plus four. And then I played Urbrask the Hidden, which is three and two red for a four-four legendary predator that gives all of my creatures haste. So at that point, all of my creatures are getting plus four, plus four. They all had haste. Uh, one of them's already an eleven-nine, so it turns into a fifteen. Animar at this point had plus eleven, so he's a twelve. Plus four, so he's a sixteen. I had already hit someone for five, so I went ahead and hit him again, killed him with commander damage, and then I used the rest of the creatures to kill the second player, uh, which is pure combat damage. So it was a pretty brutal game. Uh, we only made it to turn six. I was really hoping that the Scarab God player would have something more to play, like or even his commander. I'm thinking he was he missed a land drop or something like that, or not enough ramp in the deck. Uh, definitely needed more mana rocks, but. It was still a pretty interesting matchup. Um, I've always liked Sagarda. She's one of my favorite creatures, so it was nice to see a Sagarda Voltron. It was not nice to get hit with seven in the face with it, but it was still nice to see it. So I won my first pod. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the other pods between Phoenix, Titania, and Scarab God. Who do you think won? Well, the answer is Titania. All right, so Yidris, Yasan, Gisela. Who do you think won? Answer there, Yasan. And then between Marath, Alicia, and Teriel, who do you think won? In this case, it was Marath. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to game number two. All right, so for our pods in game number two, we had Yasan versus Animar versus Marath, Titania versus Teriel versus Scarab God, Alicia versus Gisela versus the Scarab God, and then Phoenix versus Carador versus Sigarda. Now, Carador is actually coming in and replacing... Um, who did he replace? Uh, Yidris? Alicia? No. Yidris. Yeah, our Yidris player unfortunately had to step out. So Carador went ahead and stepped in to take over for him. So keep those pods in mind. And then at the end of the game, we will talk about who won each pod. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the game. Early game. Really favored the Morath player. He played a Bloodstained Mire, which is a fetch land. It is a pay one li tap, pay one life, sacrifice it, search your library for a swamp or a mountain, and put it on the battlefield. The nice thing is it doesn't say basic, so you can go get dual lands or shock lands. Uh, it also doesn't put them into play tap, so it's really nice. He went ahead and used it to get Sacred Foundry, which counts as both a mountain and a plains. Um, normally, it, it's called a shock land because if you want to enter untap, it costs two life. Otherwise, it comes into play tapped. And then he used it to play a Skull Clamp, which is one mana for an artifact equipment. The equipped creature is plus one, minus one. And whenever the equipped creature dies, you draw two cards. And it only equips for one. It's great with token builds or you know, anything where you sack a lot or uh, things like that. So with something like Morath, you can pay one to remove a plus one, plus one counter on it, make a one-one token, pay one, 
to sack that token to equip the soul clamp kills the token then you draw two cards so effectively for two mana you draw two cards really nice um i dropped a tropical island which is one of the original dual lands the taps for counts as both a forest and an island and then our uh sound player just played a forest pretty standard beginning except that uh skull clamps way better than the other stuff that we played all right, so our Marath player continues to ramp out. He played a Segura Tribelder, which is one in a green for a 1-1 one, one, um, Snake Shaman. And you can sacrifice a Search Library for a basic land and put it in a play tapped. And then our um, Yassan player played a Priest of Titania, which is one in a green for a 1-1 one, one Elf Druid that taps for one green for each Elf on the field. And of course me, I played a land. So I'm going a little... Actually, a lot slower. I have no ramp, no birds, no Rattleclaw Mystic this time, so my play is a lot slower than everybody else's. Alright, so turn three, we start seeing commanders on the field. We had a Morath. We had my Animar. Um, our Yassan player used a Reef and Sow, which is three and a green for a sorcery that says choose one, destroy target land, or search your library for land. Put that card into play, um, and then shuffle your library, and you can entwine it for two and a green. Now, entwine means you can use both uh, parts of it. So for six mana, you can destroy a land and then go get a land. Uh, in this case, he went ahead and got Gaia's Cradle, which is a legendary land that taps for a green for each creature you control. So he's ramping pretty hard at this point. Yeah, and then so we moved on to turn four. Morath player, he starts swinging. He makes a token. He kills the Priest of Titania by removing counter off of the Morath. He clamps one of the tokens to draw more cards. He plays the Scavenging Ooze, which is one in a green for a 2-2 creature ooze. That is one green exile target card from a graveyard. And if it was a creature card, you put a plus one plus one counter on Scavenging Ooze and you gain a life. I love this card. Um, being Graveyard hate is really important in EDH. There's so many cards that are just really annoying. What's nice is you can get rid of those old legendary um, Eldrazi that normally cycle the graveyard. What you do is you wait until the shuffle effect hits the stack, then you exile the Eldrazi. They still get the shuffle, they just lose the, the Eldrazi. And then our Yasan player played a scroll rack, which is two mana for an artifact that is one and tap, exile any number of cards from your hand face down. Then put that many cards from the top of your library into your hand, then look at the exiled cards and put them back on top of your library in any order. Basically, you could take your hand, um, set it aside, draw a new amount of cards, and then put your old hand on top in any order. It's really good for Yassan because Yassan's all about playing cards for free out of your deck. So if there's something in your hand that you wanted to play for free off of his ability, you just put it back on top to draw a new hand. Or if you've got ways to shuffle away a hand that's really bad, it's really good for cycling your hand. Really great card. Unfortunately, uh, I got nothing. So Hanamar's kind of just stewing. Um, just kind of sitting there. Alright, so now we're moving on to turn 5. Our Morath player continues to ramp pretty hard. He played a Green Sun Zenith for four, which is, so it's X and green. So in this case, X is four. For sorcery, search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost X or less. Put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Um, then shuffle Green Sun Zenith into its owner's library. Uh, the creature he got was Oracle of Moldiah, which is three and a green, so four CMC. 
for a 2-2 Elf Shaman that lets you play additional lands each turn, and you play with the top card of your library revealed, and if it's a land, you can play it. So really good for ramping. The uh, Yasan player also continued to ramp. He played a Wild Growth, which is one green for an enchantment that goes on a land, and when that land taps for mana, it taps for an additional green. And then he played an Arbor Elf, which is one green for a 1-1 Elf Druid that taps to untap target Forest. He then played a Thousand Year Elixir, which is three for an artifact that says you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste. And then one tap to untap target creature. So it's kind of a pseudo haste, but only for abilities for your creatures. Really good. Uh, if you're all about activated tap abilities, uh, definitely recommend that for your if you're built around that kind of effect. Like uh, Captain Sisse loves it. Yasan loves it. Lots of decks love it. And then, of course, he played Harrow, which is two and a green for an instant that says, as an additional cost to cast Harrow, sacrifice a land. Then you search your library for up to two basic land cards and put them onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. What's nice is none of the lands have to be tapped. So the land you sacrifice doesn't uh, need to be untapped, and the lands you get come into play untapped. So it's really good because you can use the mana, sack the tapped land, and get two untapped lands. It's really good for thinning out your deck and just ramping in general. He also played a Cryptolith Rite, which is one of the green for an enchantment. It says all of your creatures are birds of paradise, so they all tap for any color. And of course, I'm sitting there on turn five, still not doing anything with my poor Animar. I think at this point, like, my mana base was just wrong, or there was something else going on. I don't remember. <clears throat> but either way, I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs with just Animar in play. So now we're moving on to turn six. And, of course, both of the other players, except for Animar, have been um, ramping pretty hard. So our Morath player plays Elish Norn Grand Cenobite, which is 5 white-white for a 4-7 Legendary Praetor with Vigilance. Other creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2, and creatures your opponents control get negative 2, negative 2. Basically, this says, I don't play Animar, because even though Animar has protection from white, he gets shrunk down from a 1-1 one, one to a 0-0. Zero, zero. So this just nukes my Animar deck. So I just get to sit there and do nothing. So he then uh, uses the scavenging used to eat the priest of Satania that he'd killed earlier, and he starts swinging at the Yassan player. Um, Yassan player then plays Yassan, who happens to be a 2-3, so he, he turns into a 0-1 at this point. Uh, he then played Seedborn Muse, which is awesome. It's a 3 and 2 green for a 2-4 spirit that untaps all permanents you control during each other player's untap step. So, uh, with the Thousand Year Elixir, it lets him use Yasan that turn, and Seaborn Muse lets him use Yasan twice a turn between the Thousand Year Elixir and the amount of mana, so really nice. So he ends up getting, uh, on my turn and on his turn, he ramps up because he gets puts one counter, chooses to find nothing, two counters, chooses to find nothing, three counters, he floats a bunch of mana, decides to play Omnath Locus of Rage, which is two and a green, so at this point it's his three counters, so two and a, uh, two and a green for a 1-1 one, one legendary creature elemental that says green mana doesn't empty from your mana pool as steps and phases in, and he is plus one plus one for each green mana in your pool. So he just floats a bunch of mana to make sure that Omnath survives Elish Norn's neg effect. He then goes and gets, uh, with his fourth ability, Vizier of the Menagerie, which is three and a green, so now this is his fourth uh, counter on Yasan for a 3-4, so it survives Elish Norn. Naga Cleric, 
which lets you look at the top of the card of your library, and if it's a creature, you can cast it, and you can use your mana in any color to cast those spells. Not that it matters because he's playing mono green, but, you know, it it's still a thing. So now we move on to turn seven. He decides to swing... Um, Marath player swings everything at me, which is nine damage at this point, because he then plays Wrath of God, which is two and two white for a sorcery that says, destroy all creatures, they can't be regenerated. Now, I'm super excited, because that means Elish Norn's off the field, I can finally play my commander, I've got cards in hand, it means I can start moving around and getting things done, but no, his next card is Karmic Guide, which is three and two white for a two-two creature angel spirit with flying and protection from black, Echo, which means you have to pay the mana cost again. None of that's important, except for the part where it says, when Karma Guide enters the battlefield, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So he kills his Elish Norn and then immediately gets it back. So nope, no Animar for me. So I'm just sitting staring at this board state going, God damn it. <laughs> uh, but it's all right. So it happens. It's all about being prepared. So the Asan player replays Yassan. Uh, he then plays Quest for Renewal, which is one and a green for an enchantment that says, whenever a creature you control becomes tapped, you may put a quest counter on Quest for Renewal. And as long as there are four or more quest counters on Quest for Renewal, untap all creatures you control during each other player's untapped steps. So he lost his Seedborn Muse, which untapped everything, but he got a quest enchantment, which will then become like half of a uh, Seedborn Muse, because at least it untaps all your creatures. So, um, at this point, it's just Jason, but, you know, he's going to build up because that's what that deck does. So, I then played Garouk, Collar of Beasts, which is four, and a green, a four green green for a four loyalty Garouk with three abilities. Uh, plus one is reveal the top five cards of your library, put all creature cards revealed this way into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Minus three is you may put a green creature card from your hand onto the battlefield, and... Minus nine is you get an emblem that whenever you cast a creature spell, search your library for a creature and put it on the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Now, the two cards that I revealed were Gigantoplasm and Arcanus the Omnipotent. Now, Gigantoplasm is three and a blue for a zero-zero shapeshifter. It comes into play as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it gains X. This creature's base power and toughness is XX. So, if you've got a bunch of mana, it can really make something huge. And Arcanus, the Omnipotent, is three blue, blue, blue for a 3-4 legendary wizard that's tap. Draw three cards. Now, if I could ever use the damn thing, it'd be great. But that's one of those, like, I was still having mana problems, so not much going on for me. All right, so we moved on to turn eight. Um, Marath is still holding a powerful, powerful lead. He plays Rith the Awakener, which is three red, green, white for a 6-6 legendary dragon with flying. And whenever Rith the Awakener deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two and a green. Uh, if you do choose a color, then put a 1-1 green cyberling creature token onto the battlefield for each permanent of that color. So in this case, all three of us are playing some form of green. So when he hits with Rith, eventually he's going to pick green. So he then does Beast Within, which is uh, targeting the Thousand Year Elixir. So it's two and a green for an instant that says destroy target permanent. Its controller gets a 3-3 green beast creature token. One of the best removal cards in green because it's instant speed. Target permanent. Yeah, it gets them a token, but how hard is it to deal with the 3-3 beast? Not hard. Um, then I finally decided to actually play a card. I can't play Animar, but I can play the Gigantoplasm I just had. So I decided to copy Elish Norn. So now I have an Elish Norn. He has an Elish Norn. Poor Yassan player is getting neg 4. Uh, 
Marath and Animar's players are both balancing out. So it means that next turn I can play my Animar. Or so I thought. As we moved on to turn 9, Marath played Sarkin Vol, which is 2, a red and a green for a 4, four sorry, 4 loyalty Sarkin, which is plus 1. Creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1, and gain haste until end of turn. Or minus 2, gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature and it gains haste until end of turn. Like, really? I finally get a copy of Elish Norn out to balance and start playing the game, and he gets a way to steal it. And then the minus six is makes some dragons run. Five dragons, ten dragons, twenty dragons, doesn't even matter. The point is, he stole my Elish Norn and then let it die, because legendary rule means you can't have two. He then plays his own Cryptolith right. Uh, Yassan responds by playing Garuk Primal Hunter, which is two green, green, green for a three loyalty. Uh, Garuk plus one ability is make a three, three beast. Minus three is draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control, and then minus five is put a six-six green creature token onto the battlefield for each land you control. Um, most importantly, just gave him a blocker. Okay, so at this point, I've lost my Elish Norn. Not much else. I top deck. No, no. I used my Garuk to draw some more cards, uh, and one of them was Freshing and Jester, which is six and a blue for a three-three beast that says. Uh, Ingest when Fraction Ingester or imprint when Fraction Ingester in, enters the battlefield, you may exile target non token creature. Fraction Ingester gets plus X plus Y, where X is the exiled creature's power and Y is its toughness. So I use that to kill the remaining Elish Norn so that I could finally get into this game. Unfortunately, that wasn't going to last because. Again, he still has Sarkin Vol. So next turn, he uses Sarkin Vol to take my Friction Ingesting... Friction Ingested? Ingester? So it, it ingested an Alex Norn. So it's a 7-10 at this point. Because it got plus 4, plus 7. He then plays Gahiji Honored One. So two... A red, green, and white. Oh, sorry. Last turn, he attacked with Rith at the uh, Yasan player got seven sapperlings. So now he has seven sapperlings. Gahiji Honored One is two, a red, a green, and a white for a 4-4 legendary beast that says whenever a creature attacks one or uh, one of your opponents or a planeswalker and opponent controls, that creature gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn. So he just got seven one one. So when he attacks one of us, either me or the Yasan player, they both they all get plus two, plus zero. So that's 21 damage just in sapperlings. Not counting the Alish Norn, which is another plus two, so it's actually, um, what I said, 27, uh, 27 to 21, um, plus another 14, uh, it's just, uh, 35 damage. Uh, then used of the Guard for two and a green, uh, two and a white, you get a 1-1 one, one human soldier. It says, when Recruit of the Guard enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with toughness, two or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Creature he got was Sarah Ascendant, which is one white for a 1-1 one, one human monk with lifelink, and as long as you have 30 or more life, Sarah Ascendant gets plus five, plus five, and has flying. He's playing, we're playing EDH. You start at 40, so if you get this turn one, it's ridiculous. It's a 6-6 six, six flying lifelink turn one. Anyway... By this point, he swung at me for lethal. You just swung all out at me. 35 plus, you know, the other creatures. Um, and then next turn, he kills the Assam player. It was, it was terrible. Poor, poor Animar. You want to kill the Animar deck? Kill Animar. Really easy if you stop it from being able to cast any spells because, well, he's a 0-0. 
All right, so let's go ahead and look at the commanders. You remember the pods? All right, so we had Yasan, Anamar, Marath, as you saw, Marath 1. Then we had Titania, Teriel, and the Scarab God. Who's your guest? Do you remember? In this case, Titania won again. All right, so we had Alesha, Gisela, and the Scarab God. In this case, who do you think won? Well, Gisela won that one. Then we had Fenix, Carador, and Sigarda. And for that game, our winner was Fenix. How'd you do? Did you get any of those right? All right. Let's go ahead and move on to our last game. The pods for this one are Fenix, Animar, Gisela. Scarab God, Scarab God, Carador. That's an interesting match. So Scarab Gods are usually graveyard shenanigans. Carador's is your own graveyard shenanigans. So I, I'm, I was really curious to see how that one matched up. Then he had Yasan, Marath, Tanya. And then the final pod was Sagarda, Alicia, and Teriel. So keep those in mind. Let me know who you think won. Let's see if you got that right. And so let's get into the game. So our Gisela player started the game off with a Reliquary Tower. Reliquary Tower is a land that says, you have no max hand size. Yeah, it taps for colors, mana, but you have no max hand size. Awesome. I played a Temple of Mysteries, which enters the battle play tapped, lets you scry, and then taps for green or blue. And then the Phoenix player played a Temple of Deceit. Hmm. Two temples at once. Makes me think someone's up to something. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's basically the same thing. Interest play taps, scry one, and then taps for blue or black. Pretty typical opening hand, except that then turn two, the Fenix player decided to play a Howling Mine, which is two mana for an artifact that says the beginning of each player's draw step. If Howling Mine is untapped, that player draws an additional card. So, uh, looks like Fenix was... Uh, and like I said, Fenix is generally a mill-style deck because it gives all the abilities, creatures' abilities to tap mill. Um, so I'm guessing Howling Mine is just part of that strategy, get his more cards into his hand to cast more creatures to mill more. And of course, drawing is a form of mill towards another one. And then I dropped Rune Tail Kitsune Ascendant. No. Gisela dropped Rune Tail Kitsune Ascendant, which is two and a white for a legendary creature monk. If you have 30 or more life, flip it, and it turns into Rune Tail's Essence, which is prevent all damage that would be dealt to creatures you control. Once again, this is EDH. You start at 40, so if you can get this before taking damage, it immediately flips. I then played Animar. So, interesting. Turn 2 into a turn 3. Um, also happening on turn 3, I got Mind Sculpted. So Mind Sculpt is one in a blue for a sorcery that says target opponent puts the top seven cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Milling doesn't really matter to me with Animar. Yeah, it removes some of my options of what to cast, but generally I draw enough cards. Uh, unless you happen to luck out and get all of my draw, which would be really weird. Uh, could happen. In this case, didn't happen. He then also played Elixir of Immortality, which is one mana for an artifact that is pay two tap. You gain five life, shuffle Elixir of Immortality and your graveyard into its owner's library. Alright, so moving on to turn four. Pretty simple turn. I dropped Oracle of Moldiah. As we mentioned before, it lets me play additional lands and lets me play them off the top of my hand, so it's just more rent for me. Our Phoenix player played Kefna's Monument, which is three mana for a legendary artifact that says blue creature spells you control you cast cost one less to cast. And whenever you cast a creature's card. A creature spell, target creature and opponent controls doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So pretty, pretty tame turn four early game. Um, 
at this point, I had just played Animar, so it's 1-1. One, one. Um, I played Oracle Multaya, turning Animar into 2-2. Two, two. I started to swing out. So I'm like, gotta get this damage out there. It's 2 commander damage, but hey, 2 commander damage could be the difference between life and death. So turn 5. Again, our Gisela player is not doing a whole lot. Just played a land. I played both Thassa and Urabrask. So Thassa, God of the Sea, is 2 and a blue for a 5-5 five, five legendary enchantment creature god with indestructible. And it's not a creature unless you have 5 or more devotion. At the beginning of your upkeep, scry 1. And 1 and a blue target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. Fantastic card. I then played Urabrask the Hidden, which is 3 red-red for a 4-4 four, four legendary creature Praetor. Uh, creatures you control have haste, and creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. It's really great for slowing their pace and increasing yours. Global haste is great, and uh, stopping all of their extra blockers, stopping all of their haste effects is great. And then it looks like our Fenix player played a Kraken Hatching, which is one blue for a 0-4 Kraken. Probably just, it's a turn 1-0-4, which is a nice blocker, plus it taps to mill for 4 once he actually gets Fenix out on the board. And then he played one of my favorite milling creatures, which is Merkel Vosk Mind Drinker. For 3 blue-black, you get a 2-4 legendary creature vampire with flying. Um, and then whenever Merkel Vosk deals combat damage to a player, that player reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals 4 lands then puts those cards into his or her graveyard. Now, unless a person is extremely unlucky, that will hit a, um, a bunch of cards, especially because you've already played lands by this time. It's turn five, or no, it's turn six? Turn five. So, because uh, his blue spells cost one less, that's right. So, you've got five in, hand, in play. You probably run 35 to 40 in the deck. You're going to be hitting at least anywhere from four to... 15 cards trying to hit those four lands, especially if you're ramping or it's later game. Um, it's a really good milling guy. Doesn't do a whole lot of damage, but it's really great for milling. Alright, so we're moving to turn four. I had a huge play. Huge. I just dropped 10 creatures into play. So Burnished Heart at this point is free. It's three mana for a 2-2 artifact creature elk that is pay three, sacrifice it to search your library for two basic lands, put them to play tapped, and shuffle your library. Mercurial Pretender, which is four and a uh, blue gat guy I mentioned earlier. I used him to uh, copy my burner start. Thunderfoot Bailoff again. I then also cast Oblivion Sower for free, which is six mana for a 5-8 Eldrazi when it when you cast Oblivion Sower, target opponent exiles the top four cards of his or her library. Then you put any number of land cards that player owns from exile onto the battlefield under your control. What's nice is it doesn't have to be cards that were exiled with Oblivion Sower. So let's say they had a bunch of fetch lands and you did Tormod's Crypt or Bajookabog or somehow got all the cards in their graveyard exiled from the game. When you play as Oblivion Sower, you get all of those lands back. So if you can... Like, if you're playing a mill deck, traumatize um, Tormod's Crypt or somehow exile that thing and then play a Oblivion Sword, you get all the lands from half their deck. Fantastic card. All right, then another Sandstone Oracle, drawing me a bunch more cards. So Vala Heart of the Wilds, which is one green-green for a 2-3 legendary elf scout. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield, its controller may draw a card if it's, creature, uh, if it's the biggest creature out. And then one green and tap. Add X mana in any combination of colors to your mana pool, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. 
uh, I played my own Vizier of the Menagerie. Then I played a Great Whale. So at this point, it only cost me... So it's normally 5 and 2 blue, so it only cost me 2 blue for a 5-5 five, five Whale that when it enters the battlefield, you untap 7 lands. So it gives me a ton more mana, because it only cost me 2 blue, netted me 5 extra mana. I then played Primordial Sage to get more card draw, which says whenever you cast a creature spell, you may draw a card. And then I cloned my Primordial Sage to get more card draw. Um, and then, you know, I kept playing more stuff. I played Cloud of Fairies, which is one in the blue for 1-1 one, one fairies with flying. That when it enters the battlefield, you untap two lands. Now, it also has cycling. I don't think I've ever cycled it, because basically it's one mana. Because um, at this point, it only costs me one blue, and it untaps two lands. So it's it's a nice generation to start getting extra mana early on. I then played an Ulven Wild Hydra, four and two green for a XX Hydra. Uh, with Reach. Did I... Um, so, and then it's got power and toughness equal to the number of, um, lands I control, and it goes and gets me a land, so I've got a ton of power on the field, I swing out, almost have lethal, I decide to spread the damage, um, and then the Fenix player played a, um, Sahili's Artistry, which is four and two blue for a sorcery, you can choose one or both, copy, make a token that's a copy of an artifact, make a token that's a copy of a creature, except that that creature turns into an artifact. So he copied my Urabras to keep all my stuff tapped, and then he copied the Howling Mind so that we drew more cards. So, you know, at this point, I could have killed one player. I chose not to. I wanted to spread the damage, thinking that I could kill them the next turn. Well, as it turns out, I don't get to, because the... Um, Gisela player played Hour of Revelation, which is another new card from Hour of Devastation. So it's three white, white, white for a sorcery that says uh, it costs three less. <coughs> Whoa, excuse me. Woo. All right. So it costs three less if there are 10 or more non-land permanents on the battlefield. I personally had more than 10 on the battlefield, uh, but it destroys all non-land permanents. So basically reset the game, except for lands. It was a great play after I just made this huge dump. Kills Animar, kills all this stuff I had in play. He then played Angel of Finality, which is three and a white for a creature, 3-4 uh, Angel with flying. And when it enters the battlefield, exile all cards from target player's graveyard. So not only does he kill this giant board that I've got in play, he then exiles it all out of my graveyard. Unfortunately, I had Primal Surge in my hand and 10 mana in play. So 8 and 2 green for a sorcery. Exile the top card of your library. If it is a permanent card, you may put it into onto the battlefield, then you repeat this process. So at this point... There's only one other non-permanent in the deck, which is um, Genesis Wave. Genesis Wave was also in my hand. So basically, I just took the rest of my deck, turned it face up, and played everything in my deck. I also have another card in there um, that gives me haste, which is Maelstrom Wander. So I played the rest of my deck, put it into play, um, and swung for lethal, because the only other thing in play was the Angel Finality at this point, uh, and some Howling Mind copies. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 the Howling Mines were killed by the Hour of Revelation. So, yeah, it was just the Angel of Finality. I put in my entire deck, minus the cards that had just been killed. And they all had haste, so swung for lethal. It was an interesting game. Uh, turn 7, Hour of Revelation. Ah, yeah, getting from Hour of Revelation to a Primal Surge for the rest of my deck is pretty brutal. I, uh, But it was fun. Uh, 
you know, I would have liked to see more out of the Fenix player. I wasn't sure exactly what he was going to do. Um, he never really got to attack with a Merkelvosk, but, you know, it was still a fun game. So, uh, so go ahead. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the uh, pods. Let's see who won. So, Fenix, Animar, Jella. Gisela, Adamar won. So between the Scarab God, Scarab God, Carador decks, who do you think won? Uh, surprisingly enough, the Carador deck won. I was surprised. You know, I figured between the two Scarab Gods, they would keep creatures that were any good out of Carador's deck. So maybe he just, you know, just hard cast them all instead of Graveyard Shenanigans like normally you expect out of a Carador deck. And then between Yasan, Marath, and Titania, Marath won. So I was very happy to see that. And then we had Sigarda, Alicia, Terio. Another interesting combo. Who do you think won there? Well, the answer is Sigarda. So, yeah, it was a great uh, series of games. Uh, I still haven't played against some of these decks. I played against well, most of them. I've seen three different versions of the Scarab God. Uh, I haven't played against the Alicia or the Carador deck yet, but I'm hoping to uh, see those maybe this weekend. Anyway, thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed the video. Let me know what you think. Let me know how I can make this more uh, entertaining for you. Thank you for listening. For those who are listening to the podcast, thank you for watching. For those watching on YouTube, uh, please like, comment, subscribe, share this video. Again, let me know how I can make these videos better. I love talking about magic, love playing uh, Commander with everybody, and I love sharing this love of the game with everybody. Thanks again for stopping by, and have a great day.